Right. How's it? Good. Well, I'm going to pray and we'll jump in. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. Um, thank you that not only are we called to be a community of light and love, but we have experienced the one who is light and love. And I pray, God, that you'd show us how to love one another better, but you'd also show us how to go out with your love into the world, into, into Durban, to KZN, South Africa, into the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I obviously am from about 11,000 miles away, which seems like a long way, and it is. Uh, but I don't know if you've ever noticed this. The world's a lot smaller than you'd think. Uh, we're a lot more connected than you'd think. Um, uh, my wife was, uh, she went on a vacation with some, some ladies. Uh, a gal in our church paid for her to go to Hawaii and, uh, and let her use her timeshare. Just wanted to bless her. We had a t- went through a tough season. She said, hey, I just want to care for you. And um, I think, Lucy, you told me you lived in Hawaii for a little bit. Do you know which is the most rural island? Like there's nothing there. Is it Kauai? Kauai, yeah. So my wife was in Kauai, which is the most... Uh, kind of rural island. There's not a lot there. Um, uh, some of the beautiful shots uh, from Jur- the first Jurassic Park, right, before Crest Pratt got involved um, back in the day. Uh, uh, they, were, they were taken there, very tropical, uh, very rural, very kind of removed. And she, my wife, was on a hiking path about an hour and a half in trying to get to a waterfall uh, in Kauai. And as she is walking, she sees a woman that we lived with for six months in California it was at the church that sent us out. They let us live in their home with them, an older couple with a, bit, a large house who let us stay with them when we had no money because we were going to plant a church. And uh, just sees her in the middle of this hiking path in a rural plot in Hawaii. Uh, more random than that, uh, about two months ago, I was in Israel and uh, on a really bad Christian tour of Israel. Um, beautiful place, dreadful tour company. Um, they're American, so you, you look out. And uh, I was um, I was walking out of um, King David, what they say is King David's tomb in the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem, and uh, there's these guys praying. They're getting they're, they're excited. They're talking about the the, the, the Talmud and, and the law, and they're, and they're talking. And I walk out, and I just hear a woman with a British accent say, "Handy Rogers," and I think or that's South Africa. I don't know, man. My accent game's not strong. But I look, and there's a oh, there is a couple that I stay with every time I go to London. Uh, actually, a guy that grew up with Brendan here in Durban. Uh, and so when I go and minister in London, I stay with him and his wife, and they're there randomly in Israel. She works for an NGO. They were in Jordan doing work, randomly crossed the border. Um, and, uh, and then we were there, and we got cocktails that night. We prayed for each other. It was amazing in the Holy Land. Um, and the cocktails were amazing. It was, uh, yeah. And, and so, so it seems like small world. And, and, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with something called Strengths Finder. I think you guys were into it for a while. It's kind of the Enneagram before the Enneagram, the, the personality test that used to be kind of the, the, the hotness. Uh, and it was a Gallup organization in America, and they uh, came up with these 32 themes, and really strengths. Uh, businesses would use it, organizations would use it kind of to figure out what are you good at, what do you fit, how would you relate to other people and the strengths or gifts they have, kind of like secular spiritual gifts, probably the best way to describe it. You get a top five, and one of my top five is connectedness. Anyone else connectedness? Know what that is? Shell, seriously. This is amazing, dude. It's like... <laughs> Oh, what a sister. Um, yeah, and, and so connected, the, the fact that we are connected more than we know, and the, and the reality is, is that even though Stephen and I came from across the ocean, we are more connected than we could ever know. And actually, this isn't a byproduct of globalism. Globalism has seemed to make the world smaller, but the New Testament, the, the, the world that Jesus has has always been connected. He's always longed for, for a, a gospel that will go out to all nations and all people. 
He was a, he was a gospel globalist. I want the gospel to go all to all nations, every nation, tribe, and tongue. So if you guys have Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter four. Uh, I know we don't have screens and I have a few passages, so I'm going to, I'm going to get to them slowly, allow you to turn to them in your phone, um, or in your, uh, paper Bibles and, um, and we'll get into it. So I'm going to look at a passage in Colossians chapter four where Paul describes this idea of connectedness, this idea of being a part of a extended family on a global gospel mission. So Colossians chapter 4, we're going to be starting down in verse 7. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you might be thinking, Andy, why are we going to read verse 7 on? This is the final greetings, right? This is the end of the letter. This is the, this is the, the Oscar um, award speech, the, the shout-outs at the end, right? I, want, I, want to, I just want to say thank you to the assistant, to the assistant of the guy that does my makeup on Wednesdays. Look, we can read kind of the last parts of these letters and think like credits at the end of a movie, ready to move on to the next thing. All right, let's get into First Thessalonians. Let's get out of here. But actually, when we read what Paul writes, so we, we learn something of the ministry of Paul and the ministry of the early church, and we see how the early church related to one another, how they were connected to one another, okay? So uh, I think there's a lot we can learn, and I think you'll see how it applies to you here in a second. So Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, Paul says this. He says, Tychius will tell you all about my, my being Paul, activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So Paul points out these two guys and he says, I am sending these beloved brothers to you. And they're going to carry out ministry to you. They're going to fill you in on the ministry that I have done. And there's this connectedness already. And here's what I want you to see is that um, the church at Colossae, uh, modern day Turkey, it, it, it's, it's its own thing. Paul is somewhere, he's in prison. Um, and, and then there's this other crew that's, that's somewhere in between. Okay. So, so, so a lot of times we think church, we just think our local context. And this isn't that. This is, there's, there's gospel work going here and there and everywhere. And so, so they're like, pray for these guys. These guys are going to come to you. They're going to tell you what I'm doing, and, and they're going to encourage you in what you're doing. Okay, verse 10 says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, a guy who's in prison with Paul, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justus, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a great comfort to me. Um, uh, I think it's just funny that there's a guy named Jesus in the early church. Can you imagine just how rough, how hectic of a name that was in the early church, right? Everyone gets so excited, right? Jesus is here. Gasp. The room starts to do what we would all do if Jesus actually walked in. Some people are on their knees. Some are standing in reverence. Some other eyes closed. And then someone goes, oh, it's just Justus. <laughs> it's like we wasted the good surprise on you. Good reverence, good reverent moment for you. Um, but there's a guy, Justus, whose name's Jesus. And uh, I think, yeah, I probably started going by Justus because he just was tired of letting people down. Um, uh, verse 11 says, men of the circumcision. That just means the Jewish believers who initially uh, really struggled with the gospel of grace. Again, Jews who were circumcised, who are with him. Paul was a Jew. These are other guys. As he's working with Gentiles, these are Jewish people who are helping him in the work of reaching the Gentiles, um, which wasn't a normal thing. Let's get to verse 12. Um, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, one of you being he's from Colossae, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. 
Now, Epaphras is a key guy. Epaphras, most scholars think, planted the church of Colossae that Paul is writing to. He sounds like a pastor when Paul describes what he's doing for them. He's praying for them. He is laboring to see them um, presented as mature, as you guys say. Uh, The the correct English way to say it, I guess. Um, Yeah, I say mature, but it makes no sense. Uh, You guys are right, is what I'm trying to say. But Epaphras is this key guy. Um, A lot of people think that Epaphras uh, got saved at Ephesus under the Apostle Paul's ministry, that he sat under his teaching, that he was developed, that he was discipled, that he was raised up and he was sent out. So it's like someone coming in here. I know this is a dream of um, the elders here and the leaders here that the men and women would come in. They would come to know the risen Jesus. They would be transformed by him. They would know him, right? Harvest City. And then they would go to make him known into the nations and, and, and they would be sent back out to where they were from. And so um, uh, this is what he does. And we've seen this with Restored. Every Restored church, all four of them have been have involved being sent back to people's hometowns. And when they go, well, I can't believe you're here and you know Jesus. I remember I, I led in a college ministry once, and there was a girl I went to high school with who was a friend uh, of, of a friend of mine in high school. And she saw me um, in the hallway outside of the, the room where I was going to preach. She didn't know I was a pastor. She just saw me, and she said, Andy Rogers, you're the last person I would expect to see at church. And then I got up to preach. It was amazing. <laughs> But what she got to hear was not hypocrisy. Oh, dude, that guy, she got to hear, my life's been transformed. The guy that used to be Andy Rogers was nailed to the cross with Jesus, and now there's a new Andy Rogers. But yeah, that Andy Rogers had no business preaching, but, but there's a redeemed one that, that, that's here. And so, um, and so we send people back to their hometowns, and people go, man, I, I, I thought I knew you, but I don't know you, and now I want to know who, who, who you know. And so Epaphras went from Ephesus, a decent-sized city, to Colossae, his hometown, a very small town. Colossae might be the least important, uh, important in a worldly sense, place of influence, maybe of all the letters that are written in the New Testament. Outside of a little, they had, they had kind of a, a strong wool game. They were, they were known for their wool, big wool community, um, good sheep situation. But other than that, it was a seemingly insignificant place that was much smaller and less prestigious than many other cities in the Roman Empire. This wasn't Rome or Athens or Corinth or Jerusalem. It was Colossae. Um, and outside of an, yeah, yeah, I already said that. Um, so there's this small, seemingly insignificant place that Epaphras is from, but Epaphras goes back to that place where he's from. And I kind of want you to think about where you are from this morning. What town, what place, what street, what city, what province, what nation for some of you, what neighborhood. What I want to say is that there is really no such thing as an insignificant place because there is no such thing as an insignificant person because Jesus died for those people. That those people have value and worth because of Jesus. Again, because there were people in Colossae that were significant to Jesus, they were significant to Epaphras. And again, he says, one of you. Uh, Another thing I love about Epaphras being included in this list, again, is that we want to be a church... um, and I know the clock's on the coals, again, want to be a church that sends people um, out into the nations. And he goes to this place. And, um, and again, I don't know where you're from, but, 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 but we're not all called to necessarily um, go to places that we deem significant. You know how so everyone who moves goes someplace that they think is more significant? I got to move to New York City. I got to move to San Francisco. I got to move to Cape Town. I got to move to Joburg. I got to move wherever. He might, he might call you to, to stay in the KZN. Beautiful place. He might call you to stay in Durban. He might, he might call you um, to Peter Maritzburg, which I hear is, is a place that is on the way to another place. Seems insignificant. It's, it seems insignificant. 
my co- be calling you to, to, to yeah, to stay in Glenwood, to go to Mozambique, to go to Zimbabwe, to go to Moy River, to go wherever you are from, to Belito, to Umlazi, wherever you are from, that there are people who need to know Jesus. And in the spirit of Epaphras, some of you might need to go. A friend of mine I grew up with, his mom got radically saved our senior year of high school. And during that time, she fell in love with a man. And that man um, was, was Mexican, and he was an illegal immigrant. And he, um, uh, he, he, was in, he had lived in San Diego for probably 15 years at this point. He came over when he was about 15. He was now 30. And, uh, and he had met Jesus about six months prior. They had fallen in love. He started following Jesus. And as he started to follow Jesus, um, what started to happen was is um, he would work on construction uh, sites. And what he would do is, is, is if um, immigration ever came in or he got pulled over by a police officer, um, he, he had a very good, just a normal American kind of sounding accent. Normal in the sense that he sounded American, not that the Mexican accent is not normal. Um, Again, we're right on the border. And he learned uh, how to sound this way. He memorized his friend's name, social security number, uh, and address. And he would say, oh, my name's Tyler Johnson. He didn't, he wasn't very dark. He just looked uh, kind of like a light-skinned white dude or uh, whatever, Southern European guy. And a uh, very American accent. And he, and he would lie. And after he gets saved, he feels God tell him, I don't want you to lie anymore. And, uh, and so if you get caught, um, I want you to tell the truth. And the thing about that is if he, if he gets caught, he, he goes to jail for three to five years and then he's deported to Mexico. And sure enough, about three months after he makes this commitment to Jesus, he gets pulled over by a police officer. And he had been married to Cindy for about a year. And uh, his name's Fito. And, uh, and, uh, and so Fito ended up, imagine just getting married. Your husband goes to jail for following Jesus. And, um, and, uh, and so he goes to jail, and, and Cindy stays married to him, and then he gets deported to TJ. And, uh, and so Cindy, who's half Mexican, but she's lived in America her entire life. She's never not lived. She's born in America. English is her first language. She lived in LA and San Diego. She goes with him to a third world country, to TJ. And then you know what they do? They take the circumstances of their life and they started a church in TJ. They now have hundreds of people coming in to hear about the radical grace of Jesus. Is San Diego an easier place to live with less complexity than Tijuana? It is. But is it where they needed to be? It was not. That there are people who know Jesus. They have started orphanages. They are planting another church in a Rosarito, a beach community. So what I want to say is, is, is where are you from and where is God taking you? And are you open to go, God, how does your mission, how do I fit into your mission? Not, God, how does your mission fit into my life dreams of just being who I want to be? Does that make sense? That's a strong challenge. But would we open our hands to Jesus and say, where do you want me to go like a Epaphras? Just keep reading. Be done here in a second. Verse 13 says, For I bear him witness that he worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He's describing Epaphras. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Uh, give, my, my, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. Again, that's a different church. So there's Paul. In prison, there's someone delivering this letter to the Colossians, and then there's a church at Laodicea that's hosted by a a lady named Nympha, and they're all connected. There's this extended gospel family. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Archippus might have been a lazy pastor in Laodicea, we don't know. Rough shout out. Might just need some encouragement, we don't know. Then verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you.
move here forward. What I want you to see is there's so much connection again. Again, to the, to the Colossian church. Man, tell, um, what's his name again? Tell Archippus, fulfill your ministry, bro. Fulfill your ministry. Paul said to fulfill your ministry. Talk to the Laodiceans, right? The Church of Peter Maritzburg. Make sure they're cool. You guys know Onesimus? He's with me right now. He loves you guys. Again, we see this connection where they're connected to one another. There's, um, there's a family connection that's going on here outside of the context that Paul is in and outside of the context that they are in. And again, I've asked Grant, and he told me that, that, that um, I know this personally, as I've talked to Grant, he said that this is true even in Durban, but that for so many Christians, they couldn't write a letter like this. They couldn't have a shout-out list like this. Because for so many Christians, um, church is a service they go to once a week, a worship gathering they go to. It's not a, a people they belong to. Again, so many of us view church as an event you go to, um, not a family on a huge global mission you belong to. Now, again, worship services aren't bad, but church is not a worship service. Uh, my wife and I, we have a weekly ritual. We have a date night, and it's a time where we reconnect and we, and we remember what's important. We remember what we love about each other. We remember what's brought us together, and, and we get on the same page as we, as we think through. We get on the same page in a lot of ways, but, but as we think through um, our week uh, and stuff like that. Um, but, but it's a family, right? So, so, so the date night's a date night. It's not our marriage. It's, it's one context that our marriage exists in, but it's not the whole thing. The worship service is, is one space that a gospel family exists in, but it's not the whole thing. Um, it, it's one space. Um, a while ago, I was looking at a picture of my dad and his siblings. Uh, my dad is the youngest of 11 kids. Um, yeah, I know. My meme and Pepe, um, his parents, I don't know how else to say it, but they were ferocious lovers. <laughs> they were an Irish Catholic couple from Boston who apparently uh, made love early and often. Um, and that's enough about my grandparents' sex life. Um, one time I was looking at a picture of my dad with all his brothers and sisters, all 11 of them. And, I was, and the reality is this, is that the, that picture of the Rogers family reflects more of what the church is called to be than a rock concert you go to once a week. Because all 11 of those siblings didn't stay children. 10, of 11, 10 out of 11 of them had their own families who had kids, many of them who, many of them who had kids of their own. Again, my dad's the youngest, so when I went, I went back a while ago to do the, uh, my aunt Audrey's funeral. And when I was there, there were so many cousins. There were second cousins and third cousins. Um, I, I couldn't keep up with who was my cousin, who wasn't, what n- numbered cousin they were. But what I knew, what I did know for sure was multiplication had taken place. They had gone out and, and filled the earth. And in the church, it's the same way. God longs for us to be a spiritual family that multiplies and fills the earth. Um, the Rogers literally spread out all across the U.S. and even the globe. Um, we found out about a year ago that my cousin's husband's cousin manages a really well-known business in my neighborhood 3,000 miles away. And so you just see there's this connectedness, this thing that's happening. I think the church should be this way. In the book of Acts, we see the church multiplying. It's scattering. It's a family. Um, they're a family. They're loving each other, but they're going. Like, they love each other, but then they go. They love each other, and then they go. And again, I've heard rumors of churches like this, churches in Eastern Europe. When we planted our church, I wanted to be like this. Churches in Eastern Europe and in, and in China and, and in parts of Africa and in parts of Brazil and, and, and all over the world, it seems like where there was persecution, especially in the Muslim world, that there are these, these groups that love each other deeply because they're all they have. 
but then they go and, and extend the mission. And, and when we started our church um, in Uptown about six and a half years ago, I really felt like I had the dream team. Uh, back in the day, 1992, the United States had, it was the first time professionals, uh, professional basketball players were allowed to play in the Olympics. And, uh, and so you guys might be familiar with Michael Jordan, at least, uh, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson. Uh, they were all in the same squad and they were amazing. And that's how I feel like my first squad was, my first staff team, my first elder team. I had Brad Sarian. Uh, he was pretty green. He was 23. He had led a youth group. Uh, he was with us. Uh, there was Tom Loke, who was here two weeks ago. He was a little bit older, but he, he was a worship leader. He had that salt and pepper hair at like 21, so he always looks more mature than maybe he is, but he's an amazing guy. Um, we had Nicole, who was here last year. She had, her experience was an event planner, um, a decorator, um, and she'd fallen in love with Jesus and jumped on the team with us. So, uh, we had James, who was here a few years ago as a creative director. And then we had Danny, um, who had an experience with college ministry. And all of us um, now had these new roles of trying to start and lead a church like not youth group, like a church. And we had so much fun together. Uh, those early years, I was only one with kids and I only had one. Uh, we had cocktail parties that would go to three in the morning. We had no boundaries. We traveled the world together. We were in hospital rooms when our kids were born. We fought and reconciled and fought and reconciled. We were there, we were there when Nicole got married. Uh, we were there when each other's, yeah, kids were born. Again, we loved each other, but then Jesus forced some of us to go. So we had our initial team, and then Danny, uh, who's the lead pastor of the church that Stephen's at, he came to me and he said, man, he, he, the goal was that he would plant a church at some point. I thought it would be a year or two years away, and six months into that. God never does it on my timeline, by the way. I hate it. I hate it. He said, dude, you, you keep, you've been teaching me that church isn't a building, right? It's, it's a family you belong to. There's a, there's a people, right? The church is a people. There's a people for me in South Bay already, man. There's 60 people waiting for me to pastor them. They're ready, and they want to reach their families and their friends with the gospel. And I said, all right, man, let's start a night service. And, and I preached in the morning, and then every other week I'd preach at night, and he'd preach at night. And I re- couldn't really maintain that schedule anymore, and I, know, I knew Danny needed another elder. And so I sent an elder candidate and our worship leader, Tom Logue, down. Uh, he was a very gifted worship leader. He was, offered, uh, he was a worship leader at a church of about 3,000. Uh, and was offered kind of huge gigs, and he was with us. And so I sent our best worship leader and elder candidate down to South Bay. And so um, Tom said yes, and so we went from two elders and two elder candidates to just two elders. If you're keeping score at this point. So we're at two elders, zero elder candidates at this point. Two weeks after Tom committed to go down and join the team, I was heading down to South Bay. While South Bay was still in evening services, I was going down to preach for the last time. And Brad goes, hey, man, can I, can I jump in the car with you and ride down with you to South Bay? I said, cool, uh, no problem. And uh, I did this on the way to preach. He just says, hey, dude, I think I'm supposed to move to L.A. and plant a church in L.A. Uh, I know the time is not good. You just sent away the whole team. I was like, yeah, it's not good. Um, it's like I was praying. I was like, cool, uh, probably not God's will. And, uh, but it was. And so we went from two elders and two elder candidates to one elder, me, and zero elder candidates. But he goes up to plant Restored LA, but I still had two staff people. And uh, but then I felt so clearly that I needed to ask Nicole, who had just gotten married to a guy who went to high school with Brad, who was from that neighborhood, my best staff member, to move with Brad. And, and she said yes to do that. And then James, who's my other, my last member of the dream team, comes to me and goes, hey, I think we'll just go with Danny to South Bay. Um, his, he's from South Bay, and his family was down there, and, um, and he wanted to reach his friends. And so just like that, the dream team's three-year run was over. It's history. Free agency, man, it got us. Oh, you guys probably, I don't know, soccer, rugby, I don't know, free agency works. Except it wasn't. It was just changing. Right? Because now um, James's wife, Faye, is the worship leader in South Bay, and that's a role that opened up 
because Tom went to go plant restored Temecula. And after a two-year run building an amazing gospel foundation, Paul and Nicole moved back to Uptown from L.A. And now we're looking at four healthy, not perfect, but healthy church communities in four different places, in three different counties, in four different cities in Southern California. We are connected in our hearts as much as we have ever been. We are on an adventure together. Again, Tom was here two weeks ago. Brad was here last year. Nicole was here last year. We're still connected. And as a leader, I, I fight to make sure they're still connected. So what I want to say is this, is that Colossians 4 describes to us um, what a connected, extended church family looks like. That there, there's an extended family that I've experienced in Southern California, but, but we've partnered with you guys here in Durban, like over and over again. And, and, and you guys have come over from Durban over and over again. We've experienced an extended family. Even I look at Mariko smiling. Did I love her? Because I've stayed with her too. Amazing, amazing gal. And Christo's great too. And so I really just have two points. These will be very quick. The first one is this. So I just want to talk about how should extended church family relate to one another. And, and it's this. Extended church family should love one another deeply. This might be the most obvious point of the century, but I've been to a lot of churches where people, uh, where people tell me people don't love each other. Um, we've seen churches burn people and burn other churches. Again, we can't overhype this point, even if it seems basic. It's basic, but it's crucial. Love is to the church what air, love is to the spiritual body, the church, what air is to the physical body. It is basic, but it is essential. Without it, we die. It's a basic need, but it's a vital one. Extended church family should love one another deeply. Again, you see that in Colossians 4. He calls multiple dudes beloved. There's brotherly affection that maybe some of us are even uncomfortable saying to our biological brothers or sisters. Paul was not afraid to share how he felt. Greet one another with a holy kiss. They cried together. There's one, there's one, in one epistle he says, I was like a nursing mother to you. Right? Whoa. That's intimate. Imagine I write an email to Tabani, dude. Remember that time I spiritually breastfed you? <laughs> Tabani, look at me in the eyes, dude. This is intimacy. This is love, dude. It's the Apostle Paul. Paul doesn't have that problem. He says, Beloved Tabani, it's good to see you. I can't wait to give you a holy kiss. Beloved Callum, beloved Candace, beloved Jerry, I could go on and on. He goes, man, beloved. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, I don't have time to go there, but over and over again, he, Paul calls Timothy his beloved child. He, he doesn't say, Timothy, guy I'm mentoring. He doesn't say, Timothy, guy who's paying me to do consulting. Timothy, guy in my leadership development group that I have to do because I'm paid and I'm on staff at a church. He says, my beloved son in the faith, I pray for you night and day. And to pray for someone night and day is a commitment. There are people you love that you don't pray for night and day. They text you a prayer request. You're like, I I don't want to text praying because I'm I'm not right now, but I'll probably forget. But I don't want them to feel unloved. Paul, man, he's committed praying night and day. Uh, recently, I spent time um, with God, and I felt like God took me to this space of praying for my children. I have three amazing kids, Clive, Calvin, and Olivia. Clive's eight, Calvin's six. They both had their first baseball games yesterday. They both got hits. Cal, Cal was uh, three for three. Uh, his first game as a six-year-old, so psyched. It wasn't T-ball. It was, he was, hitting, a ball, he was hitting, hitting a ball in the air. And, uh, and Olivia is, uh, is three. And um, about a year ago, I just had this time where I was praying, and I was praying through some tough stuff for me personally, and I felt like God just led me to a different space to pray for my kids. And I was praying for them, and I felt like he was giving me um, prophetic words for them. I felt like he was giving me scriptures for them, pictures for them, vision for them. 
even like potential sin issues they're going to have to battle with, tendencies they have, and, and, and just things I need to think through as I walk with them and disciple them. I was in tears praying for them. What I want to say is I don't think the Apostle Paul's prayers for his son in the faith, Timothy, were less intense than my prayers for my kids. I have a special relationship with my kids, obviously. But this isn't like a family. It is a family in Jesus. So we're a family, but, but we're a family on mission. Um, extended church families should love one another deeply. I'll just say this again. Over and over and over again, we have seen this. We've seen um, our church and your church. There's so many people that are connected. It honestly is. It, it's amazing. Um, Grant already mentioned all of these, so I won't mention them for time's sake. But there are people who, who, who have connected, who love each other, who pray for each other daily. I pray for Grant every day, which is funny. I can't even say his name. I call him Grant. He goes by Grant. I love Stephen's got the Texas accent, but he still gets the Grant in there. This is like so respectful. But I pray for this guy every day, and I pronounce his name wrong, but God knows who he is. <laughs> Just love. My wife's so encouraged anytime she talks to Michelle. So number one, extended church families love each other. But number two, extended church families partner together by giving and receiving. Extended church families partner together by giving and receiving. And really in three areas, prayer, provision, and people. Prayer, provision, and people. The first one is prayer. In Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Again, talking to people who are not with him being watchful and with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the gospel to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul is saying, we're praying for you, people who aren't with us, extended family, and I ask that you would pray for us, your brothers who are in prison right now. And don't pray that we get out of prison. Acts 12, that's awesome. I'm praying, though, that, that we'd be bold with the gospel while we're in this space. Would you pray that we would endure and that we'd be clear with our gospel? Something that, that to have that kind of focus, you, you definitely need prayer. You need the Spirit's power. And he had it because he had a lot of people praying for him who weren't with him in that room. He had people standing with him. Two provisions. So prayer. And I just want to say this. Restored Uptown needs your prayers. I feel more than ever that, that, that stuff's getting so complex for us. We're growing and I don't fully know what to do. We need your prayers. We have to make decisions. We need your prayers. South Bay lost their building. They need your prayers. Our, uh, there's a church playing network called Redeemer City to City. It's to, out at Tim Keller's uh, out of New York City. Ours could be restored school to school. Um, and uh, man, we, we need your prayers. Second one's provision. Second Corinthians 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul takes an offering for a vulnerable, vulnerable church in Jerusalem that was poor. It was going through a rough time. Again, we want to be a church that, that shares with each other. We had a situation in our local church where um, a girl really came to know Jesus deeply in our church. Uh, she was married to a guy who uh, had, bipolar, had bipolar disorder, and he had a, about a five-month-long manic episode. And if you've been through that, it is the worst thing in the world. He was fully psychotic, and, uh, and his wife had a baby during that time. And, uh, and he was in a, a mental hospital while she was giving birth. And we were trying to care for both of them. And her, 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 her life group leader, you would call it, a gal, the gal life group leader, was in the room with her as she gave birth. And, um, and then, and then um, he was in a really bad place. And, uh, and in America, it, it basically just, he, he had a lot of freedom, even though he, was, he had to want to get help. And when you're psychotic, you don't want to get help. And it was a really gnarly, ugly scene. But basically, she was in a safe where in that space, he wasn't safe. 
And we had not one but two nice houses with nice rooms at two churches that were away from the area where she could stay. It was, it was set up for her. Recently, um, her husband thanked those people. He's in a way better space now. Um, but she had two safe places to go, you know, 100, 140, 150 miles away. No rent. Just, we got you. Come in, we got you. There's this provision. Give love, you guys. You guys helped, um, you, you guys sewed into what we're doing in Northern Africa and Tunisia. Tunisia? Tunisia, as you guys call it. It's a 1040 window country, a place where um, less than 0.02% of the people um, have, heard the, have, have put their faith in Jesus. It's wild. It's an unreached nation. It's 99% Sunni Muslim. We're sending a couple there, and, uh, and, our, and we raised a lot. We raised like $140,000 across the, the four churches. But, but Harvard City said, man, we want in on that. And you guys kicked in. Uh, you guys kicked in money. And, and again, we're so, so, so grateful. We raised three years' salary for them to be able to get on the ground. They have to learn. They're learning French. I mean, they, they know French pretty well now. Um, but they're learning Arabic. Uh, they're going to have to learn Arabic when they get there because it's Tunsi Arabic, which is a very specific dialect of Arabic that you can't really even learn. Classical Arabic, you could know it and you'd be confused there. So they're going to have to get on the ground, meet, uh, learn the language, and they have time to do that, right? You gave them four to five months' salary of what they're going to need, something crazy. You don't know them, but you have extended family in Tunisia that aren't even your family yet, but they're going to meet Jesus. I'm so confident we're going to see people meet Jesus in the next five years or so. And then, and then they'll probably come down here. They'll be north to south Africa. <laughs> but provision, man, we want to care for one another. For Tom, who went to Smeckle, we raised $100,000 for him across our three churches. Young churches, but going, we love Tom. We love the church. We're on this mission. We've had people move. And then the last one's people. Prayer, provision, and people. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, um, the Apostle Paul writes this. The last verse I'll read, and then we'll, we'll close out. says this, it says, and he gave the apostles, talking about Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, uh, Paul says that there are these gifted leaders, that there are, there are apostles. There's people, that means sent ones. Um, the Greek word where we get apostles, tied to the Latin word where we get missionary, missio, uh, just means someone who goes with the gospel to start a new gospel work and strengthen those gospel works, okay? Um, so there are people who help get stuff started. Then there are these, there are teachers who come in and teach people how to follow Jesus in a really clear way. There are evangelists who say, here's how you can know Jesus in the first place in a very clear way. There are pastors who say, let me care for you and encourage you and challenge you as you learn to follow Jesus. There are prophetic people who come in and go, man, this is where this church is missing what Jesus wants for them. The Bible lays out what we're all called to do, but, but how to do it in our context. Sometimes we need prophetic wisdom. And so um, that there are gifted leaders who can come in and sometimes it's short term, right? Thomas here two weeks ago was a prophetic leader in our family of churches. who was here to, to help you guys grow in your prayer and prophetic culture, right? Um, Brad and uh, Paolo here, he, he's a teacher uh, and, uh, and, and a teaching leader who is unpacking, again, a vital controversial topic, both culturally and biblically, in a helpful way. We had Nicole, who I think has a very strong shepherding gift here last year, talking about how you apply the gospel to your own sexual brokenness, as she vulnerably shared about her life, and then talked about how Jesus has met her. So there's that short-term uh, sending of people, like our church is sending me and Stephen here for this time. 
But there's also a long-term sending. In Acts 13, it says that the church at um, Antioch was praying and fasting, and they sent the very first ever set ones, missionaries off, Barnabas and Paul. And they sent them off to, do, to, to, to go be missionaries, to be, to, to be apostles. And as I think through us sending, um, I won't say their names for the recording. I don't know what's going on now with the Tunisian government stuff. But we, as we send that, that couple to Tunisia, that, that weighs on me. I think about in Acts 20, and they, 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 they love, it says the Ephesian elders were weeping with Paul. And ki- it said weeping and kissing him. These adult men, godly men, who weren't wusses or anything like that. They were very strong men, but they weren't too strong to go, hey, our friend could die going where he's going for the sake of the gospel. And so we're moved. And so as we're going to send them off, I know that you're helping us send them off. I know that you'll be praying for them in Tunis. The, the place Augustine was from, that the gospel might take root again. That you'll be praying. That hopefully you even send people there. And that you'll continue to, to care for them. So, so that being said, I want to um, just say as extended family, I love you guys. And I want to call you to, 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 to dive into um, what, God ha- what, what part of God's global story um, he has for you. Whether it's, it's sowing, not money to me, but sowing money into something. Whether it's um, going somewhere, doing something, starting something, visiting somewhere. Or just praying, but actually praying. Because that Ian Bounds quote was just too good to not pray in light of. So right now I'm just going to call Grant up um, to, to speak into this.